Awesome. Well, Holy Spirit, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we have no agenda except what's on your agenda. And I thank you that you've got great things on your agenda, that you're always up to something exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask and all we can think and all we can dare dream about. You're an exceedingly abundantly big kind of God. And so we just ask you to expand our hearts tonight, elevate our thinking tonight, open our eyes tonight. Lord, let us see things from your perspective. Let us experience the reality of where we're seated in heaven right now, right at your right hand. Let us, let our eyes be opened to the reality of the spiritual realm tonight. God, help us stay awake and not fall back asleep uh, to the reality of Gosh, just the potential that is in us and the potential of uh, just whatever is going on in our life, that there are good things. There are good things going on in the midst of whatever is going on. So open our eyes, Father, to the breakthrough that's right here at the door. And we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. And we just turn all of it over to you right now and, and, and just say, have your way. Amen. 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 Well, you know, I uh, had a pretty cool uh, just reminder this week from the Lord, and I, I really felt prompted to share this with you tonight. And I say this a lot, but it still needs to be said a lot, <laughs> even though I say it a lot. You know, it is so easy, annoyingly easy, to wake up every single day and walk in the deception that we are mere human beings, that we are just, you know, comprised of a body with flesh and bones, and that the material realm is, you know, this dominating realm, and just, you know, walk through life like ordinary people, you know, going through our daily routines and and dealing with life's, you know, hurdles or obstacles or things that come across our path, uh, with just human wisdom, and it just seems sometimes it's easier to walk that way. That reality, for whatever reason, seems more real to us. And it's, and I call that sleepwalking. Sleepwalking, because we are asleep, technically. It's like we've fallen asleep to what is actually real. And you know, when you're, when you're, when you're sleeping and you're in dreamland, right? That when you're asleep, I mean, it was pretty cool this week. I don't even know. It might have been last night or the night before, but I, I often in my dreams recognize that I'm dreaming. And so I'll be in a dream knowing that I'm dreaming. And I actually sometimes will even manipulate the dream because I'm dreaming. Like I'll be like, Oh, I don't like that part. No, I don't know. We're not going to no. And so I'll actually like go a different direction with the dream. Which is, a, I don't know that a lot of people can do that. I don't know what that means even, that if I can, that I can do that. It may not mean anything, but it, it's a pretty cool thing to recognize when you're sleeping that you're sleeping. And that the reality that you are experiencing is not real reality. Now, I'm not going to say that when we are walking through life, forgetting about the spirit realm and forgetting about angels and the Christ in us. And we're just kind of walking around like sleepwalking, like a mere mortal. I'm not going to say that this realm isn't real, that this is all just a dream. I'm not going to go that far. But I am going to say that there is a whole other dimension of reality 
that we are not aware of and that this realm is manipulatable. Just like a dream. Just like a dream, everything that we see is manipulatable. This realm is what they call temporal. Okay, it means it's subject to change. It is malleable. It is shapeable. It is formable. I, I read a book one time by Charles Capps that said she was called Shaping the Unseen. Or it was called, I think it was called Shaping the Seen through the Unseen or something like that. But it, the point is that, did everybody just catch what I just said? Because I was like, a, I felt like I was Neo in the Matrix for a moment, you know, trying to, here's a little red pill, take the little red pill. But that's honestly what I am saying is that we, the majority of us are sleepwalking through the day, day after day. We wake up, but we're asleep, right? We, we, we're, we're, we're living in this reality as, as though what we see is all there is. And we forget, or maybe we've never even heard. I mean, I was in my early 30s before I started hearing this stuff. I mean, I'd never, ever heard, you know, the idea that words had power, or that words were creative, you know, I, or that death and life is in the power of the tongue. I never understood really what it meant to be created in God's image. I, I, you know, even though you, maybe we grow, grew up with that, what does that actually mean? That, that we were created to function by faith and that we already are functioning by faith, whether we realize it or not. We all have faith in something. Whether we're, our faith is really fear, <laughs> and we're afraid of the future, or afraid of something, well, that's still faith, and we were, we're designed by God to operate and manifest what we believe. That as we think in our hearts, so are, so are we. You know, and so I didn't, I didn't even hear this stuff till I was in my 30s. You know, and so of course I was, I was sleepwalking before then. You know, and, and so, but this week, you know, first of all, I had this dream and I I didn't even think about it when it happened, how God was going to tie that into what what I'm sharing tonight. But, you know, he, he really, really kind of sat me down one day this week, um, Wednesday, he sat me down Wednesday. I got home from taking the the girls to school and I don't remember if it was Wednesday or not. It might've been which is also probably interesting too, is that Lily, you know, Lily has to get up. My oldest has to get up at 6 a.m. every day because she rides a little school bus. She rides a school bus down to the, the, the Christian school CSCS down in the Springs. She's in sixth grade in middle school. They only go to fifth grade up here. And so she rides, she buses back and forth every day. And so she gets up at six. So her alarm didn't go off. I didn't wake up until it was like 10 minutes before the bus was about to leave, you know. And so I don't even know how we, it was miraculous. I have no idea how the girl got ready in two minutes. I have no idea how we drove there in two minutes. But the, she, they, she made the bus, right? And so that happened. And then I had to take my other little girl who goes to school a little bit later. So, you know, from 6 to 8 every morning, usually for me is like this, you know, mad dash, you know, with kids. And so by 8... I need Starbucks, you know, (laughs) I need, I need my double venti, whatever car, you know, whatever I need it. And so why? Because it's like, you know, it's like a shot. Get awake, awake. I need a whoo away. I'm awake. But I, I sat down with the Lord after that, that morning, it was a pretty hectic day just to journal for a little bit. And it was pretty interesting because the very, I didn't bring my journal. I should have probably, but the one thing he was saying, well, he started out by saying is, Shalice, you need to recognize 
that I'm in here with. I'm right now while you're sitting in, I was in my little office couch on my couch. He said, I'm right here. Father's here. Holy Spirit's here. That Jesus is here right now in this room with you. He said, yeah, we're in you, but we're also here with you. And then he said, you know, and there's angels all over the place. You know, look, just look around, look at the angels. I mean, I remember when I was apostolically commissioned to come to Colorado and God had this, this vision that he gave me and this angelic whole crazy vision that he gave me about the, the assignment that is on my life to really awaken the body of Christ and see the body of Christ transfigured so that the glory that's inside of them is recognized by them and seen outside of them. And... You know, so he's like, wake up these angels. He's like, you know, you have supernatural help. You have supernatural, you have a supernatural staff. You have a staff. You have supernatural staff. And he said, he took me to a scripture that I've read um, a lot. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we can just go there really quick. And I'm going to read it probably in a couple of of translations here. Now I'm talking about sleepwalking. I haven't got off my topic, even though sometimes I go around the bend, uh, back road, take an exit. I get back on track. Just follow me. That's what happens when you're a prophetic teacher. All right. Here's what it says in verse uh, Ephesians 5, verse 8. I'm going to start reading. And I'm reading in the New King James Version right now. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest as light. Verse 14 is where I was going. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it out of another translation here. All right, let's see what this one says. All right. It would pretty much the same thing. Arise, you sleeper. Rise from the dead, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. So... Eight o'clock, sitting in my office, and he's just, he's just kind of like, he's shaking me awake, shaking me awake. Recognize the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is here with you. Recognize the angels. Recognize that you have supernatural staff. And, you know, years ago, the Lord told me this. He said, where I'm taking you, you can't go asleep. You have to remain awake. You have to remain awake. 
And you know, we are, this is such an important thing, what I'm saying here. Because what I, what I just related to you was this idea that, you know, the word says, for example, where two or more are gathered in his name, Jesus is here with us. But how many of us, when we are in any kind of corporate setting, uh, when there's more than two believers gathered in his name, <laughs> really are aware that Jesus Christ himself has said, I will be there. And I mean, it's in a, in a real corporate, tangible way, right? And be, but because it's invisible, because it's an unseen reality, it's easier for us to just dismiss it as though it's not real. But my job is to wake you up. My job is to say it's more real, okay? Jesus is the, he is the one who was, who is, and is to come. I mean, he, 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 he was here before the beginning, in the beginning, he was there with God. I mean, he is, he is forever here <laughs> and it is re- he is, he's real, although he's invisible. Angels are real, although he's invisible. And we are not going to live victoriously sleepwalking. Okay. That is, that is like, that is, that is walking blind walking blind and you and I have eyes to see the invisible. We have eyes to discern what is not physical. We have spiritual senses that operate through discernment and they're very, very powerful. Um, but as the Lord just began to remind me of these things, he said, you know, Shirley, this is why I really need you to, to, to make, a, make a concerted effort to journal first thing in the morning, to journal before you go to sleep. You know, why journaling? I'm a big proponent of journaling. And, you know, people, people fight me on this um, because they either say, you know, I'm not a good journal or I don't like it or I don't hear God. They have all these reasons why they don't do it. And I'm telling you, your connection to God, first of all, operates best when you are writing things down. And I have mentored and I have helped an untold number of people, thousands at this point, I don't know how many, I can't count them, connect to the voice of God, learn to live and operate in the prophetic, just much, much more easy than they would have ever thought. And, um, you know, develop intimacy with God in a, at a level that is required. I mean, I believe it's always been required, but in this hour, it is not optional. I mean, it, I, I, we, the church has got to stop living by principles and start following a person. Uh, principles are, there's nothing, necessary. principles are like the law. I mean, the law is just, you know, I mean, I don't know, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily all of the Mosaic law and Leviticus and all of those things. I don't even halfway understand half of it, you know, but I'm talking, you know, the Ten Commandments, <laughs> those are just, that, those are good things. You know, principles are not, there's nothing wrong. I mean, those are, those are righteous things. Uh, 
But we are following a person, and it's an invisible person. We are following an invisible person who most of the time is not going to speak to us in an audible voice. Most of the time, he is not going to lead us externally. We are to be led by the Spirit of God, and he dwells inside of us. We have an inner witness, and we have an inside-out way of living that, that calls us to be led by spiritual senses rather than physical senses. That's what it means when it says, I walk by faith, not by sight. Meaning I am walking by in, in believing something that I can't see. I'm believing something that I'm hearing, but I'm not hearing. And I'm, I'm believing that more possibly than what I see with my physical eyes. And I'm believing what I'm hearing internally is just a thought, a Holy Spirit-inspired thought, or a Holy Spirit-inspired imagination. I'm seeing something in my mind's eye, or the Holy Spirit's painting a picture of something, an internal vision, and I'm being led by these internal visions, these internal pictures, and these uh, these these whispers <laughs> more than I'm being being led by things that are obvious right in front of my face and super loud inside of my ears and human wisdom that's in, on Google and uh, numbers that are on a balance sheet. I mean, you name it. I mean, facts, proven facts, scientific facts, um, brilliant facts, true facts. But this is how I'm called to live. I'm actually called to live not by that external stuff. And Paul, you know, had a lot to say about this in the book book of Galatians. I mean, we don't like to think about it, but I remember the first time that I really understood what it meant to be a carnal Christian. And that I, I... you know, a lot of people we think, I mean, you know, the church is famous. We, we, people in the church are famous. We're pointing, you know, pointing fingers at people and trying to make some kind of judgment on whether or not they know God, whether they don't know God, whether they're saved, whether they're not saved. You know, they throw out scriptures like, by their fruit, you will know them. And, you know, all this stuff, you know, that, that tries to make, put us in the place of judging another human being's heart. And it's impossible you cannot. We're never designed to do it. And when you get in the business of doing that, you are in very, very uh, dangerous waters because it is not, you are not God. And, but a lot of times what we, what, what people are judging other people and saying, okay, you're not a Christian or if you were, you would be sober or if you were, you wouldn't struggle with, you know, whatever, lying or whatever they, 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 they put the litmus test that says you can't be a Christian and do that, right? But the truth of the matter is most of the time, most of all of us are doing something. <laughs> and most of that is really just the, the fruit of carnality. It is the fruit of being a carnal Christian that is led not by the spirit, but by our flesh, led by the physical realm more than the spirit. 
they're, they, they, they're still asleep. And I remember waking up one day and remembering that, you know, I don't, I never left the Lord in the sense that I never, I never really stopped believing in him. Although I questioned everything about what I had been taught about him. And I didn't really know him. But I remember the Lord said, you know what? You never rebelled against me. You rebelled against a version of me that wasn't even me. And I'll say this. That's what most people that don't know Jesus are doing anyway. They are rebelling against a version of Jesus that has been portrayed to them through their life experiences, through their experiences in church, through their experiences with people who profess to be Christians, through whatever teachings that they had, good or bad or lack of. And so my point is, you know, when God said that, when Jesus said that, he said, you know, you're rebelling against a version of me that wasn't me. And he said, by the way, keep rebelling. Keep rebelling against those versions of me that are not me. These religious ideas about who I am. But back to this whole idea of carnality, uh, I'm going to read it in the, um, I'm going to read it in the King James because it uses that word carnality, which is just means of the flesh, physical, just of the physical. Here's what it says in Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Okay, that's not really where I wanted to go. Hold on. I was wanting to go to 1 Corinthians 3. I knew I was, it's great scripture, but that's not where I wanted to go. All right, let's try this again. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, I'm just going to take a little step here into the deep end just for a minute and say this is a picture of the American church. Okay, the American church is carnal. And there is so much strife and so much division inside the body of Christ, just here in America. I'm not going to go over all over the place, but just here in America. And it is an indication of our carnality, of our carnality. 
It meaning that we act, we forget. We're sleepwalking. And we, we allow the physical realm to be more real than the spiritual realm. You know, I, again, I really didn't even have teaching on this until I went to Bill Winston's church back, you know, in the early 2000s. I was in my early 30s, and I started recognizing what it even meant to be carnal. I didn't even know I was carnal. I didn't even know there was such a thing as being carnal. I didn't even know as a believer, I thought a believer meant you just believe Jesus was, you know, the son of God. That he was, you know, crucified and he rose again and I was forgiven for my sins and I was going to heaven. I thought that was what Christianity was. And that's a lot what a lot of people think Christianity is. <laughs> but Christianity is way, I mean, that, that is not even, that is some kind of watered down, I don't even know what to call that. Because Christianity is about an entirely new creation. It's about a regeneration of the human race. It's about the undoing of the Adamic nature. It's about, it's about humanity and the curse and sin and everything that separated humanity from God being swallowed up in Jesus Christ on the cross. It's about death being defeated, about it being an illusion, actually. It's about the illusion of death. And it's about heaven now. It's about living as a son of God right now, a carrier of the kingdom in union with God, doing the same works that Jesus did and even greater works because he now, he went to the father so he could live in you. (laughs) And now there's a whole body a body of Christ that is more than just the crucified body of Christ. And there, there's, it, it is incredibly glory-filled and packed. And it is not, you know, just this eternal futuristic message. It's about eternal life starting right now. It's about experiencing God's life in the here and now, right now. And it's about testimonies that Jesus is alive right this instant, living in human human beings. That the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is dwelling inside of earthen vessels that look like ordinary people, that have ordinary jobs, that don't seem extraordinary just by meeting them. They look like mere men. It's about becoming someone who is not a mere man or woman. It it is a complete rebirth of the cosmos. It's a, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I mean, Colossians, when you read about who Jesus Christ is, this preeminent one who holds all things together, it is... 
so much more mind-blowing than the Sunday school gospel that we, a large majority of people, operate under. And so I really feel like You know, carnality is dangerous. Sleepwalking is dangerous. You know, I mean, the enemy can, can, can just eat your lunch, steal your lunch box, (laughs) you know, steal your lunch box and eat your lunch. That's what the enemy can do when we're asleep. I mean, when, when the Bible says to be sober and vigilant, okay, he's saying, stay awake. Stay awake. The, that enemy of yours is roaring around like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. That's not to make us paranoid. It's to say we need to stay awake. We, it, it, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you just, you know, sit there with toothpicks on your eyes and never fall asleep. It means that you stay connected to the unseen realm and you stay connected to the voice of God. It is the most important priority of your life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you can't veg out and watch a movie or, you know, you can't, you know, like you just have to constantly be super spiritual Susie, you know, um, or that there's anything, you know, the natural realm is evil, I'm not, I'm not propagating some Gnostic version of the gospel, but I, but I am suggesting that to live any other way isn't even living. It's not even living because there is a rest when you are awake that you don't have when you are asleep. You can rest when you are awake. And there is no rest when you are asleep. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I, I tell folks, I mean, you can just about endure. I mean, truthfully, I really believe this with all my heart that, that we are also de- designed to, to endure and overcome anything. I believe that every believer has what it takes to be an overcomer because that's who Jesus said they were. That we are, he, we, he always causes us to triumph, that we are more than conquerors, that we, yes, we will have trouble and tr- tests and tribulation in the world, but that we are, we can be of good cheer in the midst of a test, in the midst of a tribulation, in the midst of a trial. You can, there is a place to, that you can be of good cheer because Jesus has already overcome whatever it is you are facing. He's defeated it already, whether it's manifesting in your life or not. The manifestation of something in your life is not an indication of the power of that thing. It is a test to see what you believe. The existence of a thing doesn't prove its authority. You give it authority or no authority. Human beings give authority and power because the authority and power has been given to us. 
through Adam. So what am I saying? We, there is another reality. There is another reality. And our ability to stay connected to that reality and connected to the Father and connected to what is more powerful than this reality will determine the level of victory in our lives. Okay, now that is some good preaching. <laughs> Whether you guys are amen to me or just look like, you know, whatever. I'm not moved by that. Amen. I am moved by what is in the invisible realm. And the angels are, they're going, raise a roof, sister, raise a roof. So hold on. Let me, let me find my next scripture I want to go to here. Hold up. All right, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to start reading. Because remember, I wish I'd kept that other one. I will. Let me go back to that. All right, I'm just going to kind of switch between 1 Corinthians three and uh we're gonna go to Hebrews five. Okay, so in First Corinthians three it was talking about how Paul could not speak to the church at Corinth as spiritual people. But he had to come down to their level and speak to them as though they were carnal. Now he also says that if you are carnal, you're like a baby in Jesus. You're like a ba you're you're a babe in Christ. You're a ba a baby Christian. And you know we have people that have known Jesus for 40 years and still running around in diapers. They're, they're, you know, it's like baby Huey, just, you know, just still a baby, still carnal. And it says here that he had, that he was feeding them with milk, right? So they put in the bottle, put in the bottle in their mouth because they couldn't handle the meat because they were carnal. Right? And he said, the way you know it is if you're dealing with envy and strife and divisions and these kind of things. Well, in Hebrews chapter 5, in verse 12, okay, this is what he's saying to the Hebrews. This is who the writer is saying to the Hebrews. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now, let me just share this with you. It says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food, meat, if you will, okay, belongs to those who are of full age. That is, and then it defines it, who by reason of use have their senses 
exercised to discern both good and evil. I mean, this is, these are powerful scriptures, powerful scriptures. Now, I think it's really interesting here that in Hebrews 5, that there's a link between immaturity, being a babe, drinking milk, right? Being carnal and being unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, that is a powerful statement, okay? Now, let me break it down for you in modern-day language because what does it mean to be unskilled in the word of righteousness? Okay, there are two kinds of righteousness, only two kinds. There is self-righteousness, And there is the righteousness of faith. There is God's righteousness. Okay? Self-righteousness is the thinking of babies. Okay? This is a performance mentality. Okay? It is about the law and about obtaining righteousness through your own performance. It is self-judgment. It is because judgment in and of itself is self-righteous. Judgment about yourself, judgment about God, judgment about others. That is a self-righteous way of being. And it is subtle. Self-righteousness is designed to prop you up, to make you feel good. But it's a feel-good apart from God's approval. It is a self-perpetuated self-esteem. Are you following me with this? So when you are unskilled in the word of righteousness, you are still operating out of a lack of knowledge about what the gospel of Jesus accomplished for you. And that you you have no relationship to self-righteousness anymore. God has no relationship with your self-righteousness in his relationship with you anymore. But see, this is an unseen, invisible reality. You are righteous by faith regardless of how you are acting in the natural. You are a son of God. You are in Christ. You have been placed, baptized into him. You were separated from your sin nature. You, you now have a circumcision of the heart, which is a cutting away, a cutting away. Circumcision is a cut. And there was a circumcision of the heart, it says in Hebrews, where all of that sin nature was cut off of your heart. And now you have been proclaimed clean, spotless, blameless, guiltless. There is no condemnation because you, you have no relation to law. You have no relation to right and wrong even. I mean, this is so revolutionary, so far-reaching, and so counterintelligent. So counter, uh, it feels like, again, when you hear these things, you know, it's like you're giving people just a license to do whatever they want. But having people do the right things out of the wrong heart is still the wrong thing. Scaring people into right behavior is still the wrong behavior. 
God is a heart God. That's why he said, if you commit adultery in your heart, you've committed, it's the same thing as doing it. He doesn't see the difference between real and imagined actions. Because it's a function of the heart. And so he, but what Jesus did is he came to eradicate that whole way of relating to us. And he, he, he also came to eradicate that way of you relating to yourself. But until you have a revelation of this and you begin to actually operate in a righteousness that you have, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, just because you heard about it. You heard about it and you said, I'll take that, Jesus. I'll receive that gift of your righteousness. I'll take on your nature. You you said that you became sin on the cross for me. Okay, I'll believe you did that. I'll believe you actually did that for me. Because you said you did in your word. I know that I can't prove it. I don't have natural proof. I wasn't there. And if I was, I still wouldn't have been able to see what was happening on the cross with my natural eyes. I still would have had to believe something that was unseen. But if I can't believe that which is unseen, I'm still drinking milk. Because that's milk. That's the milk. That's the sincere milk of the word, is that you are righteous. That you don't have to work to try to be good, to receive approval anymore. You are a good boy. You are a good girl. And there's nothing you can do about it because God declared it so. And your, your status of righteous doesn't fluctuate based upon how good or bad you've been that day. And when you awake to righteousness, guess what? The word says you'll sin not. See, sin is only a problem when you constantly stay focused on it. It separates us. It alienates us from God. Where? In our minds. Look what it did to Adam and Eve. Chased them right behind wherever they were hiding, wherever their hiding place was, and caused them to cover themselves in shame. Why? Self-righteous. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to, I'm going to hide from God because I'm unworthy and I, I'm, I'm naked. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. There's something, there's, she's fine. There's something wrong with me and I've got to hide it. I've got to hide what's wrong with me from God and from you. Why? Because it also is the, the root of how we judge one another. It's self-righteous to judge other people. It is a self-righteous garbage. Because the truth is, you know, they say, walk a mile in my shoes. And the truth is, until you have, you have no idea where you would be or what you would know or what your life would look like. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and said, you know, so much of our lives are determined by what we experience. Our choices, our judgments, you know, we just, next thing you know, we're 14 miles down the road and formed an identity that may or may not even be who we really are. Judgment is, is just, it's just the, it is the root. It is the root of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
It is the root. Judgment. The knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge to make a judgment apart from God. Self-righteousness. And when we are unskilled in that, we are trapped in carnality because we are judging ourselves through a carnal lens. We, do, we don't yet understand the, the yummy milk, the yummy milk of the gospel. And we haven't drank enough to grow up yet. Right? So that's the first thing we have to stay awake to. Not just the reality of angels and the Father, and, but the reality of our righteousness in Him, our, our reality of our, who we are in Christ. Our true identity, staying awake to our true identity and not getting hung up on a lot of other things that try to define us <clears throat> all the time. All the time. So staying awake to that. <clears throat> and then it says that then... Solid food is for those who are of full age, who have, by reason of use, had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So if you can discern your righteousness, okay, if you can discern your righteousness, then you're ready to have some steak. Okay, if you can discern your righteousness on a regular basis, why? Because until you can understand righteousness, you will still think good and evil is something it's not. You th- if you are still operating in self-righteousness, you are still the, the judge of good and evil. And until you recognize that righteousness is a gift and it's something that you, you receive from Jesus, you cannot discern anybody's good and evil. You are in no position to discern anything until you've discerned humanity's righteousness, including your own. And I'm talking about people that haven't even accepted Jesus yet. Because from God's perspective... He died for them just like he died for the ones that believe. My belief in what Jesus did didn't change what Jesus did for me. Jesus did it for me and for every single person that's on this planet right now, regardless of their status as believer or unbeliever. So from his perspective, that's why, 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 Shalice, are you, uh, what? I mean, I've heard people, and I said this before, preach, you know, unless you're born again, God doesn't even hear your prayers. And that, I mean, I'm like, what scripture is that? I mean, last time I checked, Cornelius had a monument to God. I mean, it's all through scripture. I mean, the centurion servant, the Phoenician woman. I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, Jesus, I mean, the father didn't stop even fellowshipping with Adam and Eve. It's silly. You know, but, but think about it. The religious spirit is by default a spirit of division. It is a spirit of us and them. It is a spirit of strife. It is absolutely a dividing spirit. Right and wrong based, by the way. Right and wrong based. It's a carnal, divisive spirit that can't fellowship with fill in the blank, 
because they're wrong about fill in the blank. That is a carnal, carnal spirit. And that's why, I mean, gosh, when Jesus was alive, guess what? Religion was alive and well. Crucified him, as a matter of fact. The enemy used the religious spirit, not the spirit of the world. I mean, granted, you know, Herod had something to do with it, but but Herod, you know, that they were trying to wash their hands of it. Pilate, he's like trying to wash his hands of it. I mean, even Herod's wife, I mean, they were just, they were just weak men, weren't they? Killed John, the wife had John the Baptist killed. But anyway, my point, it just, just that, ugh, that spirit is so divisive. And just so, anti <laughs> everything <laughs> and um but you know when peter was up on the rooftop and he begins to have a dream or a vision right he falls into this trance he's hungry <laughs> so he starts having this vision about these unclean animals right and and jesus is telling him to rise and eat and he's appalled I'm not going to eat those unclean animals. And Jesus said to him, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. Man, that's a powerful statement. We read it like it just is about Jews and Gentiles. Well, guess who we are? Gentiles. And now we're just two categories of Gentiles, believers and unbelievers and Gentiles. Not that there aren't Messianic Christians. There are. But Peter was talking about us. And he was talking about us long before we heard the gospel. Do not call us unclean when we have been cleansed. Now, why am I saying this? It's because this is linked back to being skilled in the word of righteousness. And until you recognize that humanity was declared righteous through the cross... Now, they will not get the benefits of that. Am I saying that faith has no purpose? Am I saying that we don't have to receive Jesus as our Savior? I'm not saying any of those things. It's kind of like this. I can, be a, I can be a lottery winner, but if I never go claim my cash in my lottery ticket, I'm not going to experience what it means to be wealthy. I'm not going to get the benefits of the, of the lotto money. I'm not going to experience any of it. And I could sit here and be like, I don't believe in the lottery. You know? I hate the lottery. I reject the lottery. And meanwhile, I have a winning ticket in my back pocket the whole time. And that's what the gospel is. It's like a free inheritance, like a woo that you get based on nothing that you've done. And that's exactly what the gospel is. It's the proclamation of what God has done for humanity. It's the gospel. It's what what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that doesn't make me a universalist. But I'm sorry, the cross was universal. Now, does that mean everybody's going to heaven? I mean, that is not the topic of this this discussion. Because truthfully... You know, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that all will be saved. But do I, do I know the answers to these questions? No, and I don't necessarily concern myself with those questions. 
I mean, do I understand? I mean, we come up with all kinds of doctrine. Well, once you're 12 years old, it's the age of consent. And, you know, I was t- we're taught a lot of things to try to make sense of how people should, you know, when can they, you know, when are they accountable? And, and I'm just saying I'm in the middle of my own journey to try to understand a lot of those things because there's a lot of all shall be saved scriptures and there's a whole lot of them not, you know, that, that aren't all shall be saved. There, they, there's, there's plenty on both sides of the issue. And so I'm content to just hold it in a, in a mystery place and say, I trust God with the fate of every human being. And it's not my place to judge. It's my place to proclaim the gospel. It is my place to proclaim the gospel and love my neighbor. Love my neighbor. And who's my neighbor? Everybody's my neighbor. Everybody's my neighbor. And I am called to love them all. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and this this religiosity that is so focused on the knowledge of good and evil and this righteousness apart from Christ, this self-righteous religiosity that is so subtle. I mean, it is absolutely as subtle as the snake was in the garden. It is so subtle. We, we swallow it, you know, hook, line, and sinker, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. I recognize that if they would have known, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. <laughs> you know, I mean, if forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, I get that this is a deception and an illusion. But it is the beginning of maturity. It's the beginning of maturity. When we begin to recognize that righteousness is a gift and that we are righteous, And just receive it. Just receive it. Just say it, believe it, and 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 sit in it. (laughs) Just sit in your righteousness. It's like poop in your diaper. Just sit in it. (laughs) You've been drinking so much milk, you pooped out some righteousness. Now sit in it. Sit in that because that's what righteousness does. It, It 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 lets you sit in your poop. That's what righteousness does. It lets you be loved. It lets you be loved in the middle of your mess. It lets you be loved no matter what. And that is the only safe place healing takes place. That is where the human heart gets healed. That is where the human heart experiences who God is. You, unless you're sitting in poop, you, you don't even have an idea of who God is. The fact that he loves you, in the, I mean, wipes you, cleans you. He doesn't even see it. He's just so excited about you. I mean, that is why we worship God. I mean, we don't worship him out of fear. We don't worship him out of some religious obligation. We worship him from encounter. We worship because we've encountered God's love. We've experienced God's love. And it's too good to be true. And all of a sudden, this gospel, wow, that's so, really, I have permission to not relate to myself anymore based upon all the things that are wrong with me? No, I have permission to relate to me based on the way, all the things God made right about me? When you can drink that, <laughs> just drink it straight, it will change the way 
you feel about yourself. It will change the way you feel about other people. And it's the beginning of love. Because until we get that performance stuff out of there, it may look like love, it might feel like love on occasion, but true love is unconditional. Now, that doesn't mean that we... Love is a lot of things. Love is a lot of things. It just means that our opinion of people and seeing people how they are is through the eyes of love. Now, once you have that, now we're ready for some steak. We can start to have some baby food, get our jars out, have some rice, build up to some, you know, some, 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 some meat, it says here. And that means that now you can begin to, dis- you can, you're, you're exercising your senses. You're, you're, and you, here's what that really means. It means now you can hear God correctly. Do you know how many self-proclaimed prophets have, have been sent to me to, to, and believe they had a message from God to tell me what was wrong with me? But see, unfortunately, I was skilled in the word of righteousness. Unfortunately for them. <laughs> hey! And I would not allow myself to get into a performance-based relationship with God. I mean, I, and trust me, this came, it didn't come the easy way. I mean, I remember, I, I've sat up nights. You know, I remember, see, the problem was, see, because my encounters with God was when I was such a mess, I was a mess, people. I mean, I was a real mess. I mean, the religious people would have had a heyday with me then, right? But I was such a mess, and Jesus was just so kind. He was kind. He was encouraging. He was patient. He was gentle. He had words of life. He had, he sat with me, and he didn't judge me. He shined the light on things slowly as I could receive it and fed, spoon-fed me truth and, and took away the, the dirt and the stuff that was on my face that was obscuring my vision and just washed me ever so gently. And so I already knew what he sounded like. I, I, I found out how he, how he talked when I was at my worst. So by the time I got cleaned up a little, I wasn't going to, I could not receive. I will never receive that that's how God talks. Or that God is even focused on that. Or that he's trying to get me to earn something that is mine already by inheritance. I refuse to earn it. I don't deserve any of it. I'm clear. I'm just clear. I I don't deserve any of it. And if you start trying to earn one part of it, then you got, then you get yourself into a whole big mess. But here, what's the problem with this? The reason why prophetic voices, immature prophetic voices, let me say it this way. Immature prophetic voices are judgment focused. 
because they're still steeped in self-righteousness. But as you mature and you discern and you are skilled in the word of righteousness, you can discern what is good and what is evil. Another way, what is God and what is not. And God bless, I'm not mad at anybody. I mean, I have a a responsibility to judge those things, discern those things. Is it God or is it not God? But not until (laughs) you're able to discern. And until you're able to discern, I'll tell you, it is torture. It's torture. It's torture to, to, to think God is the negative voice. Am I making sense? So, we want to be people who drink our milk and become skilled in the word of righteousness. And we want to, we want to put on Christ. We want, to, we want to get off of that treadmill of performance. And we want to release judgment. And we want to ask, Holy, let us know, Holy, how, reveal the ways that this thing is creeping in. And it's all kinds of doctrines, guys. I mean, in the church, it's any doctrine that tries to get you to perform or do anything to be blessed by God. I don't care if it's fasting. I don't care if it's prayer. I don't care if it's giving. I don't care if it's feeding the hungry. (laughs) I don't care if it's going on the mission field. I mean, Christian works to be blessed. No, we do we do good works? Okay, we work out of who we are. We are generous because that's our nature. You don't have to tell someone who has a generous nature to be generous. You don't have to tell someone who was who who is joyful to be joyful. Be when they're (laughs) be joyful. No, they're joyful. They're just joyful. They're just generous. They're just taking care of the orphans and feeding the widow. They're just doing these things because that's who they are. We'd be, we'd be much better off teaching people who they are than what they should do. Because if you teach people who they are, they will be who they are. And guess what? They'll be wealthy. They'll be wise. They'll be sanctified. They'll be righteous. They'll be who God created them in Christ, recreated them in Christ to be. Isn't that good news? Now, I started about this because I started this message talking about sleepwalking. And sleepwalking is dangerous. We can't walk around relating to ourselves and others in a version of ourselves and others that is not real. Hi, cares. You're so silly. Um, what does that mean? It means that also we need to discern. How about this? How about when we take communion and it talks about that we haven't discerned the body of Christ? Okay, what does that mean? Let me, I'm trying to see. I know, but she's got some, she's got something else she wants more. I know what this dog wants. Trust me, we have a, an unseen connection. They're in here, I think, Katie. I don't know. 
That's so weird. Here, ha ha. All right. Um, can you give me some more water? Just out of the faucet. I'm just thirsty. Um, I want to go to that scripture. I was on to something there. Hold on. Okay, this is in 1 Corinthians 11. And this is, this is about um, communion, honestly. But it's some powerful revelation in here, kind of about the same thing about discernment and about carnal in the sense that, you know, discernment is the opposite of being carnal. Okay, discernment is, is the, when you're using your spiritual senses. So you are making decisions and you are receiving revelation and you're operating at another level above the human intellect and the physical senses. Does that make sense? It's a supernatural way of operating. Okay, and then in verse um, 27... <laughs> We've read this so wrong. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, we have read this so with the wrong lens. Because we have read it from a self-righteous lens. And we do this with so much of Scripture. So much of scripture. Now, let me just read it with a righteous lens. Okay, when you eat the bread and drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, okay? When you take communion and you're feeling unworthy, you feel unworthy. You're examining yourself. It says you're judging yourself and you're, ju- you're unworthy, you're judging yourself unworthy, okay? It says you're guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. When you take the cup unworthily, you're guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. Well, what is the body and the blood of Jesus about? The body and the blood of Jesus is about making you righteous. The body and the blood of Jesus is about making you whole and putting you inside of Christ and you becoming one with God. The body and the blood is about you being buried with him, crucified with him, buried with him, risen with him, ascended with him. The body and the blood are the, the new covenant. This is the, this is the, the, this is about the new covenant. Eat my body. Drink of my blood. This is a new covenant, a new covenant where it's a covenant between God and Jesus. God and Jesus, and we're in Christ, and so we get the covenant because of where we are. It's not a covenant with us, it's a covenant with Jesus, and we now are in him. But when we, we don't discern this, 
And we drink unworthily as though we are actually unworthy. Then we are guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? Now it says, for he, he says, so let him eat of the, he says, but let a man examine himself, meaning let a man examine himself and find himself righteous. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What's the Lord's body? You. You. You haven't discerned the Lord's body. You. You are the Lord's body. Discern it. Discern your righteousness. Discern it. Discern your oneness with Jesus. Discern it. And drink and eat worthily. Well, and that, that, it says here too, it says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. They're saying here that weakness, sickness, and dying prematurely is because they didn't discern who they were. And this is what he says. If you would judge yourself, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Well, how are we judging ourselves? We're judging ourselves as righteous. And once you judge yourself as righteous, then guess what? You're not judged. Is that not crazy? Like now I say I'm righteous, therefore I have, there's no judgment. I say I'm in Christ, therefore there's no judgment. And it, but it doesn't say it the way I'm translating it, you know what I mean? So it gets read through this wrong lens. And it says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So here's what it's saying. That when we, when we sit there and judge ourselves, we're chastened. Do you know that you are chastened not because there's something wrong with you? You are, ju- you are chastened because you judge yourself as having something wrong with you. That's the correction of Jesus. You are righteous. Quit focusing on the idea that you're not righteous. I'm chasing you, child. Stop it. Quit trying to earn self-esteem. Quit trying to earn what is a gift. I'm chasing you right now. I'm convicting you of righteousness. That's the chasing of the Lord. The Lord never chastens us like... Stop that sin. No, wake up to who you are, child. Wake up. Wake up. Stay awake. You are healed. You are wealthy. You are not a victim. You are victorious. I'm chasing you right now. You are powerful. You are exactly who I say you are. Don't you doubt. Don't you relate to yourself with some condemning judgmental man don't no that is that's chastening you're not acting out of your true identity i tell people sometimes i'm not relating to this version of you 
They don't like it when I say that. But it is the best thing in the world I could say to them. Because a lot of times, you know, that, you know, and a lot of times when they're doing that, they're, cause I'm right then, I'm, I am their problem. At that moment, I am their problem. And I'm a big problem. And I'm not the problem. I don't know if it was their mother that was the problem, the father was the problem. I don't know who in their past abused them and hurt them. I don't know what experience taught them. Whatever they are upset about. But it is not me. And it's not God. And that is how God chastens us. And what he, here, what he says, it says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. The purpose of his chastening is so that we don't experience the condemnation that the world experiences. Because there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ. And so he is chasing us to righteous. He is telling us that you are righteous. You know? And I, I was just thinking even in John. Um, let me just go there. And I've got to remember where it is here. <clears throat> believe it's okay so in verse this is John 16 and this is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit okay here's what it says now he spoke a lot of things to him and John 14, you know, he starts talking to them about, in my father's house, there are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to get you. And, you know, we've thought about that as mansions in heaven and we're going to have, you know, you know, gated communities in heaven. And, um, when actually it's in my father's house, my father's body, you know, houses and scripture talk a lot about, you know, I'm the Lord's temple, uh, tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. When a demon leaves a, a man's house, he goes into dry places, right? So the house, the father's house is the father's body. And in the father's house, there are many dwelling places, meaning many mansions. Guess who, what? You, you're the mansion. In the father's house, there are many mansions. You're a mansion. You're a mansion. It's incredible. God sees you as a mansion. And he's going to prepare a place for you. Where? In the Father's body. So that where he is, you'll be there also. Then he starts to talk about, you know, Philip's like, where, where are we? How do we get there? We don't know the way. And Philip's, and you know, Jesus is like, I've been with you so long. Do you not know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you know the Father is in me? And that I'm in the Father. And he starts to talk about, and in that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in you because you will be in the Father. And I will be, and starts talking about how we're all going to have this one relate. John 14 is beautiful. Read it in the message. Read it in the voice. Read it in a lot of different translations. It's gorgeous. Um, but then in 15, he goes into, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. So he got, again, another picture of union. You, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, his, the Father has loved me. You know, so he has loved you. Continue in his love. I mean, just beautiful things that God is saying about you. The, just beautiful pictures of this new way of operating and being in one with God, oneness with God. So, 
in John 16, I had to get, I wanted to give a little bit of context before you go into this, because now he's going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, these things, what things? In my father's house, there's many mansions, I am the vine, all that. I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They'll pull you out of synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God good service. Now, listen, I'm going to stop here for a moment because they may not be pulling us out of the synagogues now. And we may not here in America today face physical death, right? But the religious spirit is still in the business of rejecting, slandering, and trying to kill the message and thinking they're doing it in the name of God. So they're coming. The religious spirit is going to come saying, this is God. I'm speaking on behalf of God. I'm representing God. You need to hear me. Okay. This is so prevalent in the church. You see it all over Facebook. Like everybody's got the corner on what God said or the right interpretation of scripture and division strife all that mess it's religion but this is the point he's saying the religious spirit is going to come for you and i'm telling you these things because i do not want you to stumble when that snake slithers into your garden your place of authority your place of assignment i do not want you to stumble i don't want you to stumble And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. Now, does that mean they don't know him at all? It just means they don't really, really, really know sometimes. Does that make sense? They know ideas about the Father. They know scriptures. They know concepts. They know what they've been taught. But they haven't experienced the Father. Or experience Jesus. And it says, but these things I've told you that when the time comes, you'll remember that I told you of them. All these things I didn't say to you in the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I'm going to stop here for a second because Jesus is saying, boys, you're about to get off your physical senses. Okay, you're going to have, you're going to, have to come out of carnality. I've been with you here in the flesh, but now I'm going and there's going to be another helper that's going to come. He's invisible. He's an invisible helper. He's an inv- I'll be here invisibly. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Okay. Well, let me just keep going for a minute before I jump off. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You're babes. You got to have some milk. I can't give you meat yet, boys. However, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And he won't speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, that he'll speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, show it to you. All things that the father has is mine. Therefore, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so good. He says here, that when the helper comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment because they don't believe in me. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is in the business of drawing people to Jesus. Let's just, first of all, breathe a sigh of relief. (sighs) Okay, it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people to Jesus. Now, does that mean that we don't have a role to play? It does not mean that we don't have a role to play. It means that we have a spirit-led role to play. We do not have a principle-driven role to play. Now, it breaks it down. Now, he's going into the world, and he's going, it says... He breaks it down. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He says, of righteousness. He's going to convict the world of righteousness. Wait a minute. He's going to, he didn't talk about sin the next. He says, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The whole thing is all kind of one issue. <laughs> okay? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's like three things, one issue. Right? Because sin is not righteousness and judgment is, is the consequence of unrighteousness and sin. Yes. But the Holy spirit is going to say what is righteousness and righteousness is going to exist because Jesus is going to the father because he died, was raised and buried and going to the father now righteousness, he can, they, he can convict the world of righteousness, of sin and righteousness. What are these things? I can now begin to have a conversation with the world about these things. And then he says of judgment, not because they're judged, not because humanity is judged, but because the prince of the ruler of the world, the ruler of the world is judged. Is judged. The devil has been judged. And then he just says, I still have many things to say to you. (laughs) But why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the Holy Spirit is good at his job. He's good at cleaning people up in their mind. (laughs) Good 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 at changing the way people think. Because he knows why they think what they think. And really, he's the only one, because a lot of times people don't even know why they think what they think. They think they know why they think what they think, but sometimes why they think that they think it isn't even right. You know what I'm saying? He really knows the heart. He knows the heart. He's an expert at changing the human heart and changing people's minds. 
and helping, you know, the goodness of God leads people to repentance. He is, he is, he's an expert at knowing how to reveal something so good that people want to taste it. So why am I saying all of this? Because we have to awake to righteousness. We have to awake out of carnality and out of being led by our physical senses and drinking our milk and getting skilled in the word of righteousness so that we can eat some meat and start to actually discern good and evil. What is God and what is not? And the baseline, if it is not righteousness-based, righteousness thinking, then it's not of God. That's not good. And it will change the way that you relate to yourself and to others. And it will cause people to be attracted to Jesus rather than repelled by believers. I mean, we have it upside down in the church in America. We think the world is supposed to persecute us. Rather than recognize it's always the religious spirit that persecutes. And it's a deep, really deep thought. Oh, that's a deep thought. And it's one that I don't have the solution to necessarily, except just to preach and teach and love people one person at a time as the Holy Spirit leads me to do that, however he leads me to do that, because I'm just one person. But there is a revolution And I know it's happening all over underground, all over the place. I know I'm not the only one. There are freedom fighters all over the place doing all kinds of works that understand everything that I just said and believe it and are preaching it. And I'll say this. I mean, it is so important that we get behind those forerunners in this hour. Uh, it is important because there is a, a, a reformation and a revela- revolution and a revelation that's coming to the body of Christ in this hour because Jesus um, is not on the religious spirit side. He loves them. They're invited to the party. I mean, oh, God died for them, loves them. Meets them right where they are, hangs out with them. I mean, he's not, not rejecting them. He's, he's just as much as in love with them as he is with the rat, you know, everybody else. So it's not like he's, but he, he can't preach. The gospel hasn't changed. In 2000 years, it hasn't changed. It's been misinterpreted. It's been mis, Guided, it's been misaligned. I mean, even in Paul's day, my goodness, it was a big, huge deal. The things that he was fighting in the church over legalism and over uh, Gnosticism and just the, the things that infiltrated the church in those days that we still are dealing with today. So it's not new. It just feels to me very, a lot of blindness feels like there's a lot of blindness and a lot of sleepwalking, <laughs> a lot of carnality. And so I want us to, I started out by, by saying, you know, God was just like, journaling is a way to stay connected to this reality. 
You know, it's, I heard one man say, you got to hear the gospel every day because we just forget. Because we're just, we're living in such a, you know, we're just living in a, you know, we just live inundated with everything but the gospel, but the idea that we're righteous and that we're one with Christ and we have spiritual eyes and ears and tune in and look and see, you know, it just feels like it's easier sometimes to focus and sleepwalk focus on what's more prevalent. So, yeah, did we get, did you guys get, are you getting something out of this? Yeah? Amen. You know, and I hope, I, you know, when I, when I do the podcast, I always, I don't want people to, you know, this, this message, the, the, one of the big criticisms against even some of the things that I'm teaching tonight is because people just twist it all around and say it's universalism or something. And that is not what I'm saying. I am not saying there's no such thing as an unbeliever and a believer. I'm not saying that there are, and you know, I'm not saying that there's no place for faith. I'm, I, I use the example of the lottery, and I'll stand by that example, you know. Um, but the the evangelical, even just traditional, charismatic way of presenting the gospel to people. is incomplete. The good news is better than that. And it's so incredible, really. (laughs) It is such an incredible message. All of it. All of it. All of it. And so I just know, for me, shifting some things in my, you know, questioning, questioning some things it's okay to question. You know, that's the other thing. In the body of Christ, we're just taught, we're taught to just be robots and just be spoon-fed things. And, and that's not even the way, you know, it's not the way it was even in Jesus' day. I mean, can you imagine 12-year-olds coming in here and start to argue doctrine with you? You know, I mean, like, we'd put those kids in their place. Get them back in children's church. You know, but I mean, the Jewish way was very much questioning and debate and uh, freedom of thought and free to explore different sides of the coin. And, you know, even in one of the things I loved about um, uh, there's a sermon that I that talks about that I I listened to that talks about, you know, pop Christianity versus um, academic Christianity. And a lot of times, you know, especially in America, we're just kind of pop Christians. You know, we have our favorite preachers. We have our favorite TV evangelists. We have our favorite podcasts. We have our favorite um, pastors and gifts that we follow. Heck, I mean, I'm probably, you know, I'd, I'd fall into that category. Um, but there is a place in the body of Christ for just theology where it is extremely... Um, what am I trying to say? It's an academic approach. And in academia, debate is encouraged. You know, you can sit down with people who have different opinions about the end times, for example, or about the atonement of Jesus. I mean, there's like seven different theories on the atonement. There's, um, you know, all these different 
pneumology, study of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's all these different topics and orthodox and non-orthodox and Armenian and Calvinism and just all of this stuff that infiltrates our world and our world, our, our Christian view of things. But because we are kind of pop Christians, we don't kind of realize that that stuff is influencing us because we're getting it secondhand and we don't really have, we haven't studied it ourselves. We aren't familiar with church history. And so we get everything secondhand. And, and, but my point is an academic Christianity, you know, you can have people go to coffee and just debate these interpretations of the Bible and just debate these things with fury, you know, and then they leave and, you know, go grab lunch and get their families together for a barbecue. I mean, it, it's not a separatist issue. It's, it's a, it, does that make sense? It doesn't set, you aren't, you aren't separating, you know, based upon views of scripture, you know, and the heresy, you know, heretic. And I mean, it's so bad. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I spend time. I don't know why I do it, but I do. I, I, I'm going to begin to address it as I'm led by the Holy Spirit. But I've spent a long time now, years, just observing the behavior of Christians. Um, you know, whether it's comments on news sites, Facebook, personal interactions, just, just being, being an observer of the climate in America, the religious climate in America, the religious atmosphere of America. Of course, the political uh, environment is, is supercharged at this point, also totally intermingled with that now. Um, and I've just sat back and I've watched. And, you know, it's interesting because when you sit back and watch and Oh, Father, help me put this into words. You know, the work that I do in Emerge, the work that we do in the Rethink Rapid Mind Renewal Sessions, the work that we do, honestly, is about helping people wake up to the things that, to systems, to mindsets, to, to ways of being controlled without you recognizing that you were being controlled. Um, whether it's the filters that we, we view things through, including the Bible, including ourselves, uh, how our experiences have shaped our image of God and, and have shaped our image of ourselves and what we believe. I mean, it's, it's a very unique assignment and a very unique place that, the, that God has put me in to help expose these things in people's lives. Um, am I making sense? Am I making sense with what I'm saying? Am I, does, does everyone understand what I'm saying when I say filters and when I say, you know, we're all viewing things through a lens, a lens of our past experiences. And the thing about this is it's like you're a fish in water and you've been swimming in it your whole life so you don't recognize you're in water. See, that's what discernment is about. Discernment is about waking up to the fact that you're in water. Because if you can't discern the water, do you understand? There's a, there's a, and the world system is like that. It's a discernment thing. Uh, and it's all kinds of, the political systems. I mean, th the thing is, if you pick a side, you have to be careful. Because discernment, that's why I've been observing. <laughs> discernment sits above it and sees both sides. 
And until you can see it, you cannot discern it. You can't discern even what in the world is actually going on because you're still swimming in the water. It's powerful. It is an uncomfortable place. Um, but it's a work that God's been doing in my life for, for a good, as long as Ella's been born at least, which is, she's about to turn eight. You know, I'm probably headed up on a decade now of just being in a very intense, super, super intense process with this. And why am I sharing it? Um, because this is a move, move of God. It's a move of God. And I, Jesus is on the move. He is on the move. The kingdom is not in panic mode. It is not. People may be in panic mode. But, you know, this is, this is, this is no sweat for Jesus. Because his agenda is very different. It's a very different. It's not a political agenda. It's not a religious agenda. It's a people agenda. <laughs> Jesus is about, he is on a, he's a, he is a people, he's a people person. Jesus is a people person. And he is a fierce lover. Fierce lover. And there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing we can do about it. <laughs> He's not changing his mind. You know, he's already decided. It's a done deal from his perspective. And he's patient, patient with me through the process. I mean, goodness, God knows I haven't arrived. But what am I saying? I mean, I, I, this is, this, the title of this message is, you know, we have to, I don't know, it's going to be something with sleepwalking. <laughs> but it is time to arise. It's time to, to get out of that slumber and awaken just to the so many dimensions of reality and truth and goodness. So many, in every single one of these dimensions, by the way, is goodness. I mean, yeah, there's dark, there's demonic stuff to discern. There's, you know, the devil's on the move too, but, you know, if it's true that God works all things together for good and, you know, the enemy's not that smart, because he ends up working into God's hands. You know, he ends up crucifying Jesus thinking he's winning. Instead, he makes just this whole race of Jesus's. You know, it's like, oops, you know, that was a stupid move. You know, I mean, like, the, it, it was his demise. It was his demise. I mean, that's how undiscerning he is. You know, so my point is, so yeah, I mean, yeah, we have things to deal with. We have things to do, but I, I just, there are so many realms of goodness and there, there is, I just know that God's goodness is so much bigger than the devil's badness. God's goodness is grace abounds where sin abounds, like the worse it gets. So much sin. We can't, it's just Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just stinking. It's just horrible. Jonah just would have just, you know, whatever. Just the worst we see it. Oh, it's just terrible. 
His grace abounds. Abounds. So there is grace for America. There is grace for his bride. There is grace for these divisions and these schisms and these quarrels and these theological debates and broken relationships. And there's just grace. There's grace. And it starts with us receiving it. It starts with you and me receiving it and learning to be led, learning to stay awake and be led and not get caught up in our own triggers and our own just staying awake. Amen? All right, well, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that it is just a divine appointment for everybody that's here tonight. And I just release an impartation of awake. <laughs> I just release an awake impartation Whew, in Jesus' name. And I, I just give everybody a spiritual latte right now in Jesus' name. Just a, a, a good gulp of stimulating Holy Spirit and to stimulate their senses, to get them jacked up on Jesus. And just totally, whew, just um, living as though the fall has been dealt with. That they can be naked and unashamed. They can have perfect fellowship with you. They, are, they don't have to be self-conscious. They can interact with the spirit realm as much as the, the, the natural realm. They can partake of the tree of life as much as they want. They don't have to live under the curse of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They can put down judgment of themselves and others, God. They can step into the freedom of judgment-free living. <laughs> And we just thank you, Jesus, that you are doing this supernaturally by your spirit tonight. There's different people in different places struggling with different aspects of this. I mean, I know I'm still walking it. I'm still dealing with it. I mean, we all are. And so, Lord, I just pray that, you know, your grace would come into those places and just overwhelm us. Overwhelm us with your grace. Uh, you said that, um, I'm trying to remember that one scripture that talks about um, that he's able to make all grace abound towards us. And so, Lord, I just thank you that we have abounding grace tonight. Abounding grace. Just grace, 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 grace. More grace, Lord. And, Father, help us to love even the people that we, that are perceiving, we perceive to be the problem. Help us love religious people. Help us love the people that, that need this the most. And help us represent you accurately to the people that don't know you or to people that have misconceptions about you or are offended with you or offended with the church or, you know, there's so many just spiritual rejects out there, Lord, and orphans. And, Father, we just pray that you would use us to be a, have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation to you and, and, and be an accurate representation of your heart. Heal our hearts. Heal our hearts, Lord. Heal our hearts. Renew our minds. Remove our triggers. Take our filters. Expose the places in our hearts that we are not operating in discernment. And help us walk into the freedom that is ours in Christ. And, 
and live joyfully, live freely, live lightly, <laughs> without all the burdens of that unrighteousness, that heaviness of unrighteousness, God. And I just bless everyone here tonight, Father, that's walking through different trials and tribulations. There's all kinds of situations I'm aware of, things that I don't know about. Um, and Father, I just declare right now, Father, that every single person is being led by the Holy Spirit. Step by step by step by step. Whew, and I thank you, Lord, that they don't have to know five steps ahead, three steps ahead, two steps ahead. They just need to know the next step. And that they can rest in between steps. And that, uh, so I just release that next step to everyone, Father, and I release peace, grace, and just, just sweet communion. Sweet communion with you, Holy Spirit, with you, Father, with you, Jesus. And I just, just, yeah, just, just shake us awake, Jesus. Shake us awake. And if we start to fall asleep again, just shake us awake. Keep us awake. Just shake us, shake us, shake us until we, until we just aren't sleepy anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>